Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is a show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Dominic Angara, the co-founder and CEO of Storyblock, a headless content management system, or CMS, that helps developers and marketers create better content experiences. In 2017, Dominic and Alexander discovered the limitations of traditional CMS platforms while they were working at an agency on various client projects. They needed to find a CMS that could be customized to fit their clients' needs, but there didn't seem to be a good solution out there. They developed a simple prototype of a headless CMS to use on client projects while they continued searching for a proper solution. But their prototype grew in popularity and they started adding more features over time. Eventually, the duo quit their jobs and started their own company. But it wasn't all smooth sailing. They wasted a lot of time and energy by trying to pursue too many ideas at once instead of being focused on the problem that mattered the most. And they lost a big customer that was very interested in their product until they discovered they were dealing with a two-person company. Today, Storyblock is an eight-figure ARR business that serves thousands of customers, including enterprises, and has raised $58 million in funding. In this episode, you'll learn how the founders acquired nearly all their customers from inbound marketing and only recently started doing any outbound. We'll share a simple hack they use to get SEO working for them quickly and driving organic traffic leads and customers. We also talk about how they accidentally discovered how to turn the live chat widget on their website into a significant growth channel and why the decision to choose a domain name that looks like it has a typo in it is still costing them about half a million dollars every year. I hope you enjoy it. Is your team struggling with spreadsheets that can't keep up with your workflows? It's time to switch to Jotform Tables. Jotform Tables is an all-in-one workspace that lets you collect, organize, and manage data seamlessly. Not only can you create online forms to gather data directly in Jotform Tables, but it also serves as a powerful tool to manage and analyze the data collected from your existing Jotform forms. You can also import spreadsheets or enter information manually, and all your data is stored securely in one place. Jotform Tables makes collaboration a breeze. You can share your tables with a single click and work with your team in real time. Say goodbye to version control issues and hello to efficient teamwork. Get started with Jotform tables for free today at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Are you looking to sell your online business or buy one to start your entrepreneurial journey? Discover exciting opportunities with bupos.com. Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses and the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers. At bupos.com, you can explore their exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. Bupos can offer pre-approved financing for recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding with no personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash Bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next deal. Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? 
As a SaaS founder, you know that having the right tools is crucial for growing your SaaS business effectively. But with so many options, choosing the best ones for your needs can be overwhelming. That's where the SaaS toolkit comes in. This handy guide covers the 12 essential types of tools you need to supercharge your growth. Inside, you'll find a detailed look at tools successful SaaS startups have used to scale to seven figures and beyond. It gives you specific examples and makes practical recommendations to help you choose the right tools for your SaaS business. Don't miss out. Visit thesastoolkit.com to download your free copy and unlock faster growth for your SaaS business. That's thesastoolkit.com. All right, Dominic, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Do you have a favorite quote, something that inspires or motivates you that you can share with us? Yeah, since uh, 2014, I have it as my WhatsApp status. It's uh, if you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, don't ask what seat, just got uh, get on. Uh, and it's by Shirley Sandberg, uh, who also inspired Mark Zuckerberg. Sheryl Sandberg, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really, really, really good quote. What does that quote mean to you? Don't ask too many questions. Just get on with it and, and try it and see if you like it or not. And it helps you be faster and be more focused because, hey, you're offered a seat. So yes, get onto the seat and try it, you know. So it helps to be more focused. Love it. So tell us about Storyblock. What does the product do? Who is it for? And what's the main problem you're helping to solve? Yeah, so Storyblock is a headless CMS. Uh, it helps you to actually build out uh, flexible content in a faster and more easier way, not just in the building part, but also in the management part. Uh, Storyblock CMS uh, comes with a visual editor. We have uh, collaboration features. We have a really, really, really fast API for content consumption on any platform. You can use any front-end technology, so you're not bound to just PHP or just uh, JavaScript or anything like that. You can really use the content everywhere. And by now, we are fully enterprise ready, uh, not, not just that. We are actually customer's choice, according to Gartner. And uh, we actually got uh, yeah return of investment calculated by Forrester of 582%, uh, which I think is really, really cool. So Forrester said that the, the return on investment of using Storyblock is 500 and 82%. Yeah. So we, we asked Forrester to, without our interference in, in, in any, any way, um, we asked them to interview our customers uh, and they selected the customers, they selected the sizes of the customers and they interviewed them without us being in the room and without us actually preparing them for anything. And then they shared metrics, they anonymized them. And then uh, we got the full calculation of multiple customers and the average was 582% return of investment after using Storyblock. So the license you pay to Storyblock to use it as a content management solution, uh, after six months, you're already uh, completely, um, yeah, in the green. Also that, that Gartner matrix that you talked about, I saw that, I came across that on your website. We'll talk about that a little later, I think, when we just talk a little bit about competition. But it was quite nice that you, uh, a story block was in a grid of its own in a pretty competitive market, and it was one of the good boxes to be in. It wasn't like, you know, like Gartner has like, you know, the boxes you don't want to be in. So that that was that was pretty good. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Before we get started with your story, you know, give us a sense of the size of the business. Where are you in terms of revenue, number of customers, size of team, and so on? Yeah, so we are now 235 people across 47 countries. We don't have offices, so we're fully remote. 
uh, mostly home office or co-working spaces in, in that sense. Uh, if you have at least 3x uh, growth of year over year, uh, basically. And the craziest thing is, I believe we have like 0% enterprise churn. Uh, actually, I don't believe that. I, I know that. Uh, 0% enterprise churn uh, and our like revenue split to give some understanding. 70% uh, of our ARR uh, comes from enterprise and 30% is self-service. So paid by a credit card, either monthly or yearly. And uh, yeah, that's Storyblock. Awesome. So you're a eight-figure ARR business, and I think you you have raised what was the number? Total of fifty-eight million so far. Uh, the last Series B was forty-seven million. And uh, so you said the team is remote, two hundred thirty-five people, and you're based in Austria. Yes, I'm based in Austria in Linz, and uh, my co-founder Alex is actually living in Teresopolis in in Brazil. Uh, so uh, yeah. <laughs> So it really helps on on like life support and stuff like that, being in like different time zones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He can do the work when you're sleeping. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Especially when when we bootstrapped, you know, like we, we didn't start with being like VC funded, uh, so we actually bootstrapped from 2017 until end of 2019 and grew the business to uh, the first million in ER with just the two of us. And only then, when we hit some struggles, uh, we actually decided to to go the VC route. Awesome. So let's talk about where the idea came from. You and Alexander were working uh, in an agency. You were running an agency. Uh, working at an agency, yeah. So we were running the departments. Uh, Alex was like the head of app development. I was like this head of service and maintenance for our customers. And so luckily we were not the founders of the agency, so it would have been quite difficult to move out with Storyblock, but it was, was an intense time back in 2015. Got it. Okay. So you're at this agency. How did you come up with the idea? Where, where did it come from? So Alex initially started it. So we were using tons of different content management solutions, uh, but one in particular, we had an, uh, later on an exclusive kind of deal, which was a really old Java PHP kind of mixture kind of thing uh, from the Austrian state. And it told us, hey, we are going to shut that down and you need to find something new. And so you can imagine uh, <laughs> an agency that has an exclusive deal with one enterprise content management solution, kind of flipping out that they are about to lose all the customers because that's the CMS that they're using, right? So we looked for a new CMS. We looked into uh, WordPress, um, uh, type of free, then Drupal. From Drupal, we, we saw uh, Acquia on the enterprise side, uh, Adobe Sidecore, Liferay. Uh, then we found uh, headless competitors, like Contentful, ContentStack, and Prismic back then in 2015. And we realized that this is all okay for us as a developer, but the marketers actually are not that happy. Like they, they need visual guidance. They need to understand what they're editing because they are used to understanding what they're doing and they don't want to wait for a publishing run uh, to just basically wait to, to see if they broke something. And we combined the setless idea with a visual editor that is still completely separated from the view and uh, launched it for our own customers. They, they liked it. And then, you know, like we invited more customers to try it. We built more features, we added more services. And uh, then we, we launched it on a, on a website uh, called storyblock.com. Okay, great. So uh, you mentioned some of the the other products out there, and I've had Neha Sampat, the, the founder of Content Stack, on the show. But just for people who aren't familiar, can you just explain what is a headless CMS and how is it different to 
you know, what people might be more familiar with, like a WordPress. Yeah. So when you like get your, your hands on, on something like WordPress or any monolithic CMS, how, how we headless people uh, talk about it, uh, it usually ships with the templating language and the, the, the view layer, so how the content is displayed uh, together with the CMS. And uh, so you have your, your admin interface where you have your, your management or, or view and basically can change your content. And at the same time, when you hit publish, you immediately have the website built from WordPress. You can install plugins that change the HTML, it ships the JavaScript and all that. And the idea of headless originally is that you completely strip away that view layer. You basically cut the head of your website. That's why it's called headless. And all you're left with is this admin overview where you actually change content and save the drafts, publish it, and then stop at the content, stop at the data. And all you give to developers uh, at that point is the pure JSON data information. So they can just consume the data from APIs and use any technology they want to build the website. The cool thing is even um, tools like WordPress and similar, they now have uh, plugins that you can install uh, where you can use them as an API. That doesn't make them headless because it's a different way of how they were built originally, uh, but it gives you an option to combine it with other tools that have this philosophy of using APIs uh, from data. Okay, great. Thanks for that. W one thing I want to understand uh, I wasn't quite clear on was when you and Alexander started working on this idea of a headless CMS, when you were at the agency, was this some work you were doing for an agency client or this was, you, you spotted an opportunity and then you guys were like, evenings and weekends, build a product and we'll go and sell it to somebody else? Yeah, so we didn't have the plan to do that. Um, we actually had the goal to not build a CMS because every developer built a CMS before or at least some kind of management kind of view where you can edit stuff. And we're like, okay, let, let's not build a CMS. Let's find the CMS we want uh, and then customize it to like fit the needs of our clients. And it turns out that when we were looking for that CMS, we at one point had to find something that our customers wanted to use in the meantime, right? So it started out as this like small prototype that, uh, yes, yeah, somehow uh, like grew and grew. And it was the main idea was about storytelling with components, reusable content blocks. So storytelling with blocks, story block. And uh, at that point, uh, uh, it somehow grew, grew way, way, way larger than we expected, uh, given that at that time, like uh, Silhouette, uh, Adidas, and, and so on started using it. And uh, you know, like it was a prototype at that, that phase uh, still. And uh, yeah, uh, from that prototype on, we, we started the journey of writing articles and, and stuff like that, and uh, it grew. So tell me how you got your first customer. So the first customers definitely came directly from the agency. You know, like we, we pitched them, hey, this will be just this transition kind of prototype. Uh, I guess it's more interesting to see how we got beyond that agency phase because uh, we spin out uh, of that agency in, in mid-2017 when Storyblock GmbH, the Austrian entity, was established. And what we did is we started the landing page storyblock.com and we realized quite early on that we need content and uh, Alex and my background is in technical SEO, so we're not talking about like add keywords to your site, uh, you need to add meta tags and stuff like that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about performance of the site, site structure, uh, searchability, uh, usage and, and accessibility of the site itself. And we optimized the site so, so much uh, that every article that we wrote, 
not on like uh, these uh, short-term keywords, short-term phrases, uh, and more on the long tail phrases. That's like if you if you Google long tail um, SEO phrases, uh, that's like a technique you can use to actually get more viewers from like more niche content. And that's what we have done. We created articles on how to use Storyblock with PHP, with uh, Vue.js, with React, with Angular, with Python, with everything you can imagine. Uh, and we just started writing those articles because people were asking us how to do that, right? How to use it uh, in a live chat that we had. And with that, we, we then started to suddenly have more and more traffic, more and more users coming on the site. And because the article was about how to solve a certain problem with introducing Storyblock for free, like it does a freemium version. People just used it, liked it, and, and suddenly paid for it. And with that, we ranked up uh, on, on Google in itself. And at one point, we decided, okay, let's write an article explaining headless CMS in five minutes. So we published that. And because we ranked so good for those long tail uh, articles, we also ranked number one for this headless CMS explained article. And uh, yeah, then more and more users came in and we hit like 1,000 users uh, in November 2017. And uh, two months later, we had 3,000 users on the platform and uh, were profitable at that point, which is kind of crazy to, to think about, actually. Wow. So most founders will be told when you're in the early stages of building a product, and I, had just, I just had this conversation with with a bunch of founders in my community just a few days ago, where it was like, we need to be doing outbound. We need to be doing more outbound because SEO is great, but SEO isn't going to pay back for six months, nine months, whatever. But you guys started doing that very early on and you started getting results from that. So what was it that you were doing differently? We, we, we started doing outbound mid last year. So... That, that's what, what we have done, like literally mid last year. Before that, everything we have done was pure inbound. And the way we, we, we see that is that people that have a problem search for a solution. If you can be in the number one or the second spot, you will be the de facto solution uh, that they are going to at least try. And then your product needs to be spot on. So we focused on building the product because we were solving our own problems already and we didn't have the, the the pressure to actually make money at the time because we were just becoming profitable because of the projects we've built before and also because of the, the users that just came in from the first couple of articles. So we were really, really fortunate in, in, in that position because it allowed us to actually build a complete onboarding flow where they didn't need us to onboard them. So we didn't need to outbound and onboard people because they were just able to register, try it out, like it or not, and then subscribe or not. Right, so that was our, our big luck in that that regard, and it allows us to allowed us to actually bootstrap for like two two and a half years from basically nothing, and like with purely inbound, we we still still hits that one one million ARR mark, and I'm not sure if we did something different. I guess because our product was in this hype kind of of niche of headless uh, of that headless movement, we just have a really lucky on the timing. Plus, the product is not too bad because they really liked it. <laughs> Yeah, that helps when the product, you know, people like the product. And, and I, I think also the fact that you mentioned that you were going after long tail keywords is, is also relevant because, and I think if people aren't familiar with it, I don't know, we can give an example and say headless CMS might be a more competitive keyword um, using headless CMS with Django 
on Python would probably be a long tail keyword because fewer people are going to be searching for that. There's going to be less competition. So you've got a better chance of ranking for that quickly. You're not going to get tens of thousands of people doing that, but you will get people there. So I think that going after long tail keywords, great. And, you know, I think everyone should, should try to do that in whatever they're doing. Let's talk about a little problem that you also had, which was a typo in your name. Like, just tell us the story about Storyblock and, and, you know, getting the domain and stuff. Yeah, if, if you, like, hear the name Storyblock, you instantly think about S-T-O-R-Y-B-L-O-C-K. But the problem was that this C on the block side, um, the domain was already gone. So we wanted to have a .com domain. And we said we really like the name because of the idea of storytelling with blocks. So we don't want to just like move it away. Like we don't want to take any other name, right? So um, naive as we were like back in the days, we were like, oh, yeah, it's fine. We'll just train Google to uh, understand that this is not a spelling mistake. It's not a typo. And like if, if Flickr can do that and, and all the others, we can do that too. So we decided to, okay, Storyblock is fine without the C. And there's so many problems if you do that. So the, the first one is it took us about three months for Google not having this like, did you mean Storyblock with a C, you know, uh, writing under the search results that they are, they are actually receiving or like sending out. And even today, and we are talking now five, six years later, we have, we have, uh, <laughs> we are actually spending a lot of money for these uh, typo campaigns. So when people are actually spelling Storyblock wrong, so they can at least find us, because of course there are other products, but sometimes they actually just look for Storyblock and or Story blank block and or anything like that. So we have now to pay money on like paid advertisement for people to actually find us. And uh, yeah, we have landing pages and all set up, but it's pretty expensive to have a typo in your name and you should think about it. Definitely. And I think that, you know, I mean, Google is trying to be helpful by of sending course. people to the correct domain. You know, I, I just I just went up to storyblock.com and there's no website there. So it look it looks like one of those domains that, you know, somebody's just bought and is sitting on. And I don't know if you've tried to buy it. and No response, no response. If you're out there, and your own storyblock.com with a C, please let me know. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it would have been easier to buy when it was just the two of you running a business <laughs> with very little revenue. Yeah, but, that's definitely a lesson learned. Like, yeah. Don't have a typo. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> you, you can get around with it quite well. Uh, and by now, it's actually a really nice kind of gimmick because it's somewhat different, right? Uh, but uh, still an expensive differentiator. <laughs> yeah, totally. Let's talk about uh, enterprise customers. So you, at, earlier you said we're enterprise ready. You have enterprise customers today, but it didn't go so well when you tried to sell to enterprise customers in the early days, right? I mean, from from what you, you told me, you're actually getting interest in the product until they found out. Hey, it's just two people from Austria <laughs> or one from, from now Brazil and one from Austria. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really tough, you know. Um, right now it's totally fine. You know, like 70% as mentioned of our um, like revenue is from enterprise customers. So talking um, like six figures uh, upwards in ER per customer and like, like 
banks and insurance companies and widespread organizations globally uh, from like different regions and uh, we're talking 52 languages projects kind of style, like really, really large projects. And these kind of projects still had an interest already back in 2017. So they, they looked at us, uh, they looked at the freemium version, they tried it out and uh, then they, they reached out to us and asked us, okay, we want to do redlining, we want to see your ISO certification, we want to see uh, you fill out this 900 uh, questions uh, questionnaire for security audits and so on. And we're like, yes, we can do that, but just so you aware, like, we're two people. And they're like, oh, oh, uh, ooh, like the POC went great, the product is cool and like we stress tested it, it works, it's really, really nice. But this is a blocker for us because they of course have a risk assessment and they need to do that. And by now we, we are fully ISO certified, you know, we, we are in the process of getting uh, other certifications, especially for governments as well. And there's so many, many, many things that we have been doing since then, uh, especially filling out questionnaires. But back then uh, it was a blocker for us. Like literally we got blocked because people said, hey, we love the product, please keep pushing so you're getting better uh, and bigger mostly bigger. Uh, so we can actually purchase you because right now we, we couldn't just back in 2017, 2016. So that's why we went uh, with not even bothering about outbounding because that had so many implications for us to fill out those certification processes and all that stuff that just blocked us from building the product. So we decided actually, hey, let's, let's do self-service. Let's do a full bootstrap kind of move and, and move to, to as, as, as big as we possibly can uh, with a the, the, the smallest amount of people. And uh, we tried to push that as, 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 yeah, as far as possible. And uh, in 2019, we, we met again uh, a person, Peter Larsinger from FreeVC, which is, is now one of our early investors, uh, that actually encouraged us to at least think about VC. You know, it's not bad. It's not, not, not so, so bad to, to take money to grow fast if you can. Uh, and... Um, after a lot of convincing and meeting other VCs, we decided, okay, let's let's move out of the bootstrapping phase that we are in right now and flip it over to like tackle those enterprises we never tackled before or because we, we suddenly had capital to tackle them, right? We suddenly had the possibility to hire those account executives, those, those security uh, people that we actually need to have a co uh, proper compliant answer to, to the questions that we received. And uh, yeah, that was what at the time we were uh, still two people at the time. Right. So you, the, the two of you got to, you said the first million in ARR. It was just two of you. That's correct. 25,000 customers. How many customers? 25,000 customers. Oh my gosh. Uh, like it was, it was a freemium version plus, you know, like we had this $9 plan and $13 plan per user. So you need a lot of customers to, to ramp that number up, right? Aside from the outbound you did initially, you know, kind of going to the agency clients and saying, do you want to buy this product? They were inbound as well. The agency clients were as well. Yeah. So we, we had a live chat on the website and because those agencies had developers and those developers tried to solve the same problem as every other developer, they found our articles. So when they had questions about us and the product and how to like build something with it, Alex and I, we were sitting in the live chat and literally waiting for people to write us. Uh, and uh, so there, there are really, really fun stories with people uh, like writing us on Saturday night, uh, like 4 a.m. in the morning, not even about Storyblock, but because we talked with them for the last like three weeks and helped them build that project, uh, that they are just buying a house and stuff like that. You know, like really, really nice things that happened. And that built those relationships with those agencies. 
And with that, we actually then uh, got into touch with those large agencies and now have a partner ecosystem of about 1,700 agencies globally. So like this is basically just exploded from there. Wow. So it's all really been inbound until very, very recently. Last year, uh, mid last year. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about the live chat. Just just to kind of finish off the, the previous question I was thinking about was, was there anything else that you did to get to that first million in ARR? We talked about the the SEO, focusing on long tail. We're going to talk about live chat in the minute. Was there anything else that that got you to, to those 25,000 odd customers? Yeah, so two things we, we focused heavily on, and especially Alex focused really hard on the onboarding journey. So we really wanted for people to, if you register, you should have a clear step forward to the technology that you want to choose to building something and don't need us. So it's, could be, it should be completely self-service. And the second thing we then did is if they have questions and ask us in the live chat that we had online, before we answer in the live chat directly, we always just took the answer, made it a little bit more like in-depth and published an article about it in an FAQ kind of style. So with those customers that ha had questions about the product, we optimized the onboarding flow. So it'd be completely automated basically from our side. And those people that still had questions, we could, uh, we could refer them to the FAQ. And turns out if you have a good search on your sites and enough content that actually answers the question that they, they actually have, you suddenly reduce your, your support costs drastically. And that was necessary for two people to, to, to scale in that, that sense, uh, because suddenly we had more articles, more content, more relevant content that we didn't have to come up with, like just thinking, okay, what should I write about? No, people were asking us, hey, how can you do that? And uh, is there any way I can go around it? So it was relevant content for the audience we were already getting, right? So suddenly we had this loop of people just reading the content that we wrote for others that had been on the site before and uh, maybe resulted in a paid subscription. So we naturally somehow created this loop of people subscribing. And it took us, like every change we did on the onboarding, it took two to three months to see any impact. And uh, it was really nice because we are quite lucky that the feedback that we received was so good from those extremely friendly customers uh, that we were able to, to integrate uh, many, many, many informations like, like in onboarding, super important. You need to understand who you're onboarding. So ask the question who they are. Are they developers? Are they marketers? Are they, like, do you have different audiences? Uh, depending on that, they might only want to see a demo and not build like a data structure like developers want to do. So like simple things like that, right? Uh, it's, it's crazy to, to like build a product and have a login form and then just drop them in without any explanation and without fuss at first thinking about who they actually are that are like signing up. And that was a big learning that you actually learn, okay, which are the audiences that could possibly register and have an onboarding journey for all of them, separated or combine them later again. Are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell? Bupas is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses. With their exclusive listings, as well as listings from other marketplaces, and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupos has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees. 
and their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash BUPOS. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with BUPOS.com. So let's go back to the the live chat. Now, there are very few SaaS companies that I can think of, ones with even dedicated support teams, that you go to the live chat and somebody actually replies, right? Usually it's like the fake live chat, which is you're really just searching the help docs and then they'll say to you, we'll get back to you. And then maybe 24 hours later or whatever, you, you hear from them. Why put a live chat when there's only two of you? And then like, wh- why were you guys just like, like sit- sitting around and, and, you know, having these conversations with, with people? And I mean, it was great you did that because it actually turned into a very important growth channel, right? But um, that wasn't the intention, right, when you started? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it wasn't. So like the, the intention was that we get feedback. So the easiest, like, you have multiple options to get feedback. If you're a large corporate, you usually know um, that, hey, this, this upvote tool and here's this like feature request Dropbox that you can drop in and maybe someone somewhere at any point in time might reply. And we didn't want that because all the content management systems out there have that. Like if you want to get in touch with any CMS vendor, it's super hard to do that. And we felt like, hey, we actually want to listen and we want to understand what's going on. And even today, if you go on storyblock.com or even in the app, if you want to have like a report an issue, uh, there's, a, there's a live chat popping up and you can chat with uh, Renata, with, with, with Hannes and, and all our new joiners on the support team. Uh, it's not just Alex and me uh, anymore in there. Still, we're there, uh, but like we have so many, many more people like supporting us now. And the cool thing is people at first ask even our support team right now if they are bots. Uh, because they actually reply super fast because they actually know what they're doing. And the qu- big difference is they know, okay, this is more in-depth and this sounds like something we should investigate. Uh, we, we will come back to you and here's like the, the the history of our conversation. You will be sent that by email automatically. And then later on, you will have a service test ticket created for you out of that conversation. And then they will actually follow up. So it's, it's actually really nice because we can ask those initial kind of questions like, hey, uh, which browser you're using? Um, does it happen on all the different spaces? Does it happen only for your use or other users? Does it happen on multiple devices and so on? Like those, those default questions that you usually ask people, we can ask them in real time and see them because it's a live person there and with us. So that's a huge, huge win. And if you are like just getting started, you want to understand what kind of customers or potential customers you have on your site. So the easiest way to get that is not about data because to get somebody to reply to a survey or anything like that, that's a big ask. But if they already have a question and you just are there for them to answer it, right? That's really, really nice. It's a really nice experience for them as well. So that's uh, allowed us to get like honest feedback and mostly friendly feedback, even until today. How did the feedback turn into customers? Well, I, I can, I can uh, give you one example where the feedback turned that person and the company into a customer and then the person becoming an employee and now being the head of product at Storyblock. Wow. So 
And it was a really, really small feature. So uh, in Storyblock, in the early days, um, the title of our application was always Storyblock. And if you had multiple pages open with, with in the application, it's always was story block on the top. So it's a really small thing and there's a detail, right? Uh, but uh, this person, Sam, was a really big and heavy user of story block back in the days. Uh, now still, but a different perspective. Uh, and one of the features that he, he asked in the live chat was like, hey, uh, would it be possible to just update that title on the top with the current like content I'm, I'm editing? So I always know exactly which window is. Like, it's a small feature. It's nothing big, right? And we shipped that in five minutes. Like, it was two people coding, and we were able to ship it really fast because it was a really small change. So we shipped that, and 10, 15 minutes after our automated tests and accessibility uh, and acceptance tests ran through, um, we shipped it. And uh, I pinged them back on the live chat. Yeah, yeah, it's live. Uh, please refresh and, and let us know if it works. And they're like, wait, what? You deployed it in 15 minutes? And well, yeah, yeah, it's it's a good feature. Th thanks for thanks for the feedback, you know. And uh, like a week later, the agency started onboarding the clients. And uh, then uh, when 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 Sam moved to a different country, he actually uh, joined Storyblock at the end. And yeah, he moved from DevRel to advocating about Storyblock to becoming the head of products, so other people can have similar experiences. Now the the time frame is a little bit longer than 15 minutes because more people are working on that with proper sprint structure. We have proper security issues and all of that. Uh, but still, the experience is quite the same still today. That's a, a great story. I, I love that. One thing I want to understand is you, you said the majority of the growth until very recently has come from inbound. In terms of sales, onboarding, all of that stuff, has that also been product-led? Or the inbound turns into a demo, which turns into, you know, eventually a sale. Which of the two has been kind of the predominant way you've acquired customers? Yeah, so there are two ways, uh, depending on who are the initiator of a project inside a company. So if it's coming from a developer inside a company or inside an agency, they usually just try the, the freemium version and then go up the tiers to the point, okay, we are launching a live product uh, for a customer that has certain security requirements, certain optimally requirements. Uh, they need a certain amount of different spaces and stages and, and all that. And then they're moving up to the enterprise level. Then there's no demo because they already know the product and it's just a self-service product-led growth kind of motion uh, that we're talking about. And uh, we then also later on started doing that direct sales. We have a two-stage sales process similar to what Salesforce is doing. Uh, it's, it's basically us having uh, an inbound channel for you with a contact form, uh, different campaigns that we have, uh, different uh, papers that you can download. And we ask you about some details. And then um, if you like, contact us or we think, hey, we could help your company, then we also by now reach out. Back in the days, we just waited for you to drop us a message. And we then got on a call with you and asked you some, some questions. And if you have any um, technical questions or more on the marketing side, or what kind of questions you just have. And then we schedule a demo, prepared that for you and, and walked you through the platform to the point where we then offered you a POC, not just for the freemium version, but for the enterprise uh, plan that we have. And you were able to just try that out. And uh, if you like it, you, you purchase it. If, if not, then, then not, you know. We are not that, that pushy kind of a sales org. Even though we have like steep goals and we're growing quite fast, uh, I still believe we like customers knows best. If, if they want our product, they are going to purchase it. If not, then not, you know. So that, that's basically how we're doing it. It's like the 
product-led motion, if it's more on a developer-centric side, if it's a marketer that needs help with selling to the dev organization, the IT organization internally, then it's mostly top-down or traditional sales. Got it. Okay. And then do you still have a freemium model today? Of course. Of course. It even got better. It's really nice. So basically, it means that you could have you know, a Fortune 100 company you could have a developer there who finds this, signs up for the free me, free account, starts basically using it, and then you've got you've got sort of that Trojan horse approach where, you know, people are are using the product and eventually it sort of bubbles up and becomes, you know, it gets in front of a decision maker. Yeah, so we, we had that multiple times. Yeah. So I think that's that's great. And I think it helps in terms of selling to some of these big organizations because you don't really need to go through like, you're doing enterprise sales really, but you don't need to necessarily say, we're going to do a proof of concept and we're going to help set this up for you and we're going to do this. Potentially you could, or maybe you're doing that, but it sounds like you know a developer could be ahead of everybody and say, I already built something. So we have, we have a customer that that, that had done exactly that. So Marco Polo, uh, still one of my, my most favorite case studies, initially started building something without Storyblock. And then Johannes, one of the techs, and shout out to him if he, he listens to it. He just, yeah, I'm going to try this. Um, can I have like two, three days? So I want to really, really try that. It's like, this, this looks like it ticks all of our boxes. And in two days, he built the same thing that they have built in months before in Storyblock. And you know, like, just having having that, that like we interviewed him and, and he, he was telling that I, and I'm like, yes, that's the experience that you should get. And I, I, like it's it's so nice, you know. Suddenly, because you have only data, you can choose any technology you're actually good in, and you don't have to adapt to the CMS. So at the end, it's just data for you, and you can just build whatever you want, and that's it. And of course, you need to take care of your own technology stack. You need to update your own technology stack, uh, but you know that stack, right? So it's easier for you and. That only worked because we had the freemium version. Like if we didn't have that, there would be a complete kind of process for, for him to, to go through on legal review, on procurement process and all that. And with the freemium version, they at least could try it. And like our freemium version is free forever. So you can actually try it with one user, not actually can create multiple spaces with just one user and use it however long you want. You can build your own blogging stuff. You can build anything you really want and uh, you will not be charged with anything. We uh, I believe after a certain amount of time, we ask you for a credit card. If you're uh, expanding your traffic usage or something like that, then we, of course, are charging traffic because only a certain bandwidth is included on the freemium plan. Uh, and then the next highest tier is $9. That's also really nice. Like every additional user you add, you add uh, for $9 essentially. And our plans are set up that you actually only need to upgrade if you need more collaboration features, more, more staging, you know, like more security kind of features. And... Uh, That'll help us really a lot because, again, here, it's self-service. They actually should not need us to use Storyblock. Like, that's the whole idea. We, we tried to like, actually remove ourselves from the selling process because we are really bad at selling. You know, it's just to develop us building something. <laughs> that's, that's a good motivation. Did you have the freemium product when in the first couple of years when you were bootstrapping? Yeah, from the beginning. Okay, so the conventional advice to a bootstrap founder or founders would be 
don't have a freemium model, you're going to get distracted by hundreds or thousands of people who will be demanding, who will want support, who will never pay for your product and will probably even tell you that. And it's going to make it the economics of this thing so difficult to be able to build a, a profitable business. And you don't have a lot of money if you're bootstrapping. So why was it that you were able to make that work and survive and actually thrive? We are a developer tool. So that means you actually have an initial investment to be done. So with Storyblock, we are an API-based solution. So for us to work for you, you first need to build your app, your website, your 3D kind of environment where you want to display something. You need to first build that environment where you actually want to use that content. So there is an investment of that developer, that company, that partner, that at one point, like those people that just come to try it and test it out, they don't bother doing that investment, even though it's not that much of an investment. Like literally with articles, how to build a multilingual website in like 30 minutes. Like you can literally do that uh, with any tech stack right now. But the interesting thing is we never had those people, even, even now, uh, I don't think so. So having that initial investment from their side, believe, I believe removed like that, that burden for us. For B2C, I see freemium really, really hard. Same, same, like I would follow, follow that advice 100% of the time if I'm doing a B2C, a SaaS company, 100%, because like this will burn all your cash, period. And, and even B2B, I mean, ironically, if you weren't a headless CMS, you were a traditional CMS, people wouldn't have to make that kind of investment before they started using you. And you would have had probably most of those problems that we, we mentioned earlier. 100%. <laughs> 100%. At one point, we actually had like a theme kind of store and stuff like that, uh, but we ditched it immediately because, hey, hey like we, we are headless CMS, we should not do that. We needed to focus, right? So uh, that was a big learning as well. Like keep focus on the thing that you actually believe in and not get sidetracked and distracted. So let's talk about that, that Gartner matrix that had you guys. So just for people who... I want to I want to kind of visualize this. So Gartner has this matrix for web content management. And there are four grids. They have one grid which is called strong performers, one called aspiring, you know, players. They have established players where there's companies like, you know, Contentful and Adobe. And then there's one called customer's choice, and there's only one product in there, which is Storyblock. <laughs> How much did you pay Gartner to get yourselves <laughs> in your own box? So uh, you cannot pay Gartner, and it's it's real. You cannot pay Gartner or Forrester to get any reports. That's not what they're doing. And I had a really, really hard time understanding that thing in the beginning. Uh, but um, shout out to Julius, our uh, annual installation manager at Storyblock. Like, he has done an amazing job educating me about what we can get out of Gartner because what I learned, it's like a two-way street. Once you are at a certain level, it, it doesn't pay for for people that or companies that just get started, like you will not like get that much benefit right away. But as soon as you have a certain amount of customers, don't want to say any specific numbers because it depends on uh, are you B2C, B2B, are you uh, uh, a, a dev tool, are you more on like the consumer side? Um, and it depends on, on just your, your company. But at one point you might want to get advice on certain topics. And that's the moment where we then turned to Gartner and Forrester because they ran 
analysts or have analysts that run surveys about us, about our area, about our market. So they know what our customers actually think because customers will be more open to individual people that are not basically incentivized to sell you something. And being a customer from uh, any vendor that uh, goes to Gartner gets advice. That That's not a problem. But as a vendor, to get that advice and get that research that they are doing, you actually need to pay. So you need to pay to actually get access to the and analysts, to ask them questions, have inquiries and, and all that. And that allowed us to, to just learn more about them and also um, address certain things that our customers wanted to see. So that allowed us to then build features that customers wanted to see in our product. And then we asked those customers in our own platform to rate us. And Garden by now has its own Garden Insights. And all we did is ask our customers, hey, if you like Storyblock or not, <laughs> we're on both sides, please please review us. We, we want to know. And so they, they started doing that. And because we got uh, quite a big amount of, of customer reviews that were outstandingly good, we were placed into this customer's choice bracket because of that pre uh, review. And it was not us asking gardeners, hey, create this quadrant. That's not what they're doing, not at all. But they asked, hey, we created that quadrant because it reflects the current state. Would you like to purchase it? And then we purchase the rights for us to publish it. Uh, that's what you need to then pay additionally. But you have no influence what they're going to publish. Uh, of course, you can you can mention two-way street. Of course, you can try to educate them the best about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Uh, but at the end, it's their decision on how they see the world. And I think that it's super fair, you know? At first, uh, I thought, like, ah, why, why do people, like, depend so much on those reviews and those... Uh, not just reviews, but those 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 research uh, results. But having talked to the, those analysts, like Chuck on on, on like analysts for, for CMS, he is amazing. He knows everything about our market. Like he's generally like a super smart human, and like you could not influence him if if you want to. But you know, he he knows what 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 how he sees the world, and he knows what his actual customers want. And then he tries to get the best for them. And he doesn't care so much about us vendors in that sense. But it's amazing. Like they're they're really nice guys and, and girls, of course. Yeah. I, I think if you could you if you could influence those folks, then Gartner would probably be out of business, right? It's like um and for people who aren't familiar with with Gartner, you know, as this analyst firm, don't bother trying to get on the matrix unless you're selling, I'd say mainly primarily to enterprise customers, because those are the ones who are going to Gartner to look for this type of of information? But that's a very interesting insight on on how you uh, how you made that happen. I want to make sure that people don't walk away from this thinking this was easy for Dominic and Alexander. They were at the agency, they had this idea, they built this thing, and now they're running an eight figure ARR business, and everything seems to go right. And Gartner loves them so much that they give them their own box in the grid and all of this stuff. And we pay half a million for a typo every year. <laughs> See, so there are a few things we talked about, right? We talked about the pains of the having that so-called typo in your name. And are you really spending half a million just to resolve those types of issues still? Let's wow. not talk about that. Wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we also talked about um, having the basic the rug pulled from under your feet when you thought you were going to get your first enterprise customer in the early days and they realized it was just the two of you. Tell me also about 
uh, some of the struggles around focus and particularly when you look back when when you know you guys were tr- felt like you were doing too much in the early days like 216 to 17 even even like beginning of 218 we we figured like hey we, we need to build not just the cms we you know like there's so many dev tools that we should build in this headless fashion and people need uh, an api based uh, e-commerce solution another one and then they need another api based uh, full text search you know like now you have algolia you have commerce tools you have map for like a location finder app uh, that is purely data driven and and all of those kind of product ideas we of course had as well because these were projects we built or used or wanted to use because they didn't exist all of them uh, at the time we wanted to build them and we started building and we built an e-commerce solution like literally an api based e-commerce solution that was running in production even in mainland china like like just imagine that we we built those projects and they were in production with customers and luckily, the agency took over uh, like those those clients and served them individually, so we don't have to maintain those those projects anymore. Uh, but the like we, we wasted so much time at, at least three months we wasted just because we started building out like this full suite of API based tools uh, that at the time were way way too small. Like we 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 should have immediately just focused on the one thing we we started building the first app. And that was Storyblock, right? So, and FreeVC, uh, FreeVC's Peter Larsinger, we're having this open office space um, with the agency and, and Peter was sitting there for another company. And Alex and I were sitting in, in the coffee table, like it's a long coffee table. And uh, you can just imagine like two, two devs with the laptop sitting across each other and we're all just chatting about like what we've just built and what we need to tweak and what we need to do. And then, then Peter just came in uh, like, Dropping himself like a coffee, like just on a machine, uh, putting putting in his, his basically order, and casually starts chatting with us, and we're like, "Hey, uh, Peter, you're an investor. We need to pitch you that now." Uh, so, like a su- super super scrappy, super 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 nice, actually, if you think about it. And we're like, "Hey, Peter, you know, like we have like this idea of like a story block in the center, and then you have like e-commerce, you have this and that and those and that dozens dozens of tools that we started building." And Peter just goes like. Sipping from like his espresso, uh, you know, like cup, like, hey, why not just focus on one thing and do it really, really well? It just kept going, you know, like just that. And we're like, well, well, uh, yeah, maybe he's right. I mean, he, you know, like he's an investor, he, he needs to know. Uh, and we're like casually like then discussing that he's actually right. And it took us three, four uh, hours of, of getting our head around throwing away multiple functional products that we spent months building for the sake of one, you know, like diversification versus centralization of one, one idea. And even today, like this is the, the best advice we ever, ever received. Uh, build one thing or build your core structure once and you can expand later once you have an audience, once you have uh, the customer base that you can then add more functionality, add additional products that solve other problems uh, for them. And the cool thing is, if you listen to your customers to tell you their problems so you can solve them and you have another business value that you can drive it's, it's just amazing and another thing we, we at the same time learned really 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 in a bad way we still have uh, we're doing um project work in the beginning because like in the early days before we launched landing page and, and so on we still of course somehow needed to maintain uh, our families and, and pay rent and stuff like that right uh, but we always kept this project revenue, this one-time kind of, of revenues 
as a bad KPI. We kept track of it. And every time in, in, in a month when it, it, it rose a little bit, we actually were like, damn, we missed our goal, right? Like it should go down and the AR should go up. And it, that was super motivating when you suddenly see an inflection point where suddenly ARR is larger than, or that the MRR is actually larger than the monthly revenue that you made from a project. So that's super inspiring if you, if you just keep track of it. Uh, so you, you know what you're doing and yeah. I, I love the way you describe that. You know, the espresso, the very simple, wise insight, and then he's gone, right? And I think from from what I've seen with the the one thing is intuitively we all know that's the right thing to do. And probably I think if I had to summarize it, I'd say there were like three three reasons why it doesn't happen or it's hard. I've seen founders who are very tech driven and they just have so many ideas for the technology that they get in their own way. We can build this, we can build that, we can build this and so on, and you lose that focus. The other thing I've seen is founders who kind of have these big aspirational visions of what they want to do, which again is great. You might get there in whatever time, but it kind of gets in your way because instead of doing that one thing now, you're trying to figure out how you can do the 25 things that will live up to your vision of what the product will be in 20 years time. But I think for most people, the one thing, they know they've got to do the one thing, they just don't know which one thing, right? It's like, I've got four or five features, customer type of customers I could go after, problems that I could solve, whatever. And I know I need to do one, but how do I pick that? So coming back to my, uh, to, to my quote in the beginning, if you like, if you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, don't ask what seat. So just take one and get on with it. It doesn't matter which one. Try it. If it fails, it fails. Try the next one. Like best thing of advice. Don't uh, waste time on uh, questioning yourself what you should do or what you could do. Do one thing, and if it fails, do the next thing. I couldn't have asked for a better way to wrap up this interview, and I promise everybody who's listening, we didn't plan this it just happened like that um so let's move on to the lightning round uh, i'm going to give you the seven quick fire questions just try to answer them as quickly as you can ready yeah what's one of the best pieces of business advice you've ever received the focus one from peter 100 what book would you recommend to our audience and why uh there's a german book called ein mann ohne eigenschaften so a man without uh, properties uh crazy book highly recommend it's not business related but it completely destroyed my view on how to describe the world. If you want more business-related, we're a remote company, so the culture map from Erin Meyer is like, go to anytime. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? Mm, directness, 100%. Uh, so every founder I've talked with uh, when we are part of like Founders Factory and all those like tech hubs where we're able to successfully see successful founders and, and talk to them, they were always super direct and they tend to ask a lot of why questions. So why did you do that? Why not like this? And uh, funny enough, like if they have an opinion and they're wrong about it, uh, they, they don't really care that they were wrong. They just want to understand why, you know? And uh, I believe like, this, this why and the interest of how they can improve themselves and their business and their idea, this why is really, really strong. And I see, I've seen that multiple times and that's for me, it's like an attribute or characteristic for sure for a successful founder. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? 
Uh, I'm on my phone a lot, uh, reading a lot of emails and stuff like that. So uh, I get easily distracted as well. Um, that's why we built so many different apps in the beginning. So screen time, just default feature on an iPhone. Uh, app limits, like set time limits for different apps that distract you. Uh, talking five minutes, 10 minutes for social media, stuff like that, or remove them completely. I cannot remove them completely because it's part of my job, but limit them to a certain amount of time. What's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the time? So it, it's it's crazy because it's so boring, you know, like financial kind of ERP for SaaS solution in Europe with like tax reports and stuff like that. That's the thing, you know, if you have a proper SaaS solution, hosted SaaS solution that does ERP subscription management, uh, not for other SaaS solutions, but for the actual like, like Stripe, but <laughs> not for payment, but after that. So uh, you, you get to take care of like the taxation and tax reports for different countries and all of that. And Stripe has some kind of feature, but not ideally that uh, what you actually want with multiple companies in different uh, locations when you're like getting bigger, like, uh, like an our ERP solution for SaaS done, like <laughs> definitely. Well, what's, uh, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? I'm I'm super clumsy, uh, like I'm I'm not even kidding. Like tomorrow I have a surgery because I bumped my leg so many times that I have leg surgery tomorrow. So I'm, I'm really really clumsy. So if if at any conference you see myself falling off of like a a stage or bumping against chairs or anything like that, don't worry. I know what I'm doing. It just looks stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Thank you for sharing that one. Uh, and finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? Music and gaming. So I love playing guitar and piano and I love gaming. I've been uh, gaming my whole life um, from like uh, any kind of MMORPG to, to even, even like any kind of, of ego shooter and stuff like that. I really like it. It's time with friends. It's, it's, it's super nice. Dominic, thanks so much for, for joining me and, and sharing your story. I, I just love these types of stories and yours in particular of you know, the two of you just seeing an opportunity, tinkering around with with an idea which has now become this eight-figure a year business with hundreds of employees. Uh, it's, it's uh, you know, love, love these types of stories. I, I also think that uh, hopefully we did a good job not just showing the successes, but also some of the, the struggles and, and failures along the way. Uh, if people want to check out Storyblog, sign up for it, play around with it. They can go to storyblock.com. Without the C, yeah. Um, and if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, definitely. Um, I'm actually replying. So uh, just ping me and and uh, I guess LinkedIn is better. I got a lot of, of spam on Twitter right now, but LinkedIn, just just ping me. Great. Well, we'll include uh, links to your, your profiles there in the show notes. Great. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And uh, I wish you and the team the best of success. Thank you so much. And thanks for all this uh, SaaS podcast, one of the best podcasts I've been. And Mario, just an amazing host. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Do you dream of owning a profitable online business or are you looking to sell yours? Bupos.com is the number one platform for entrepreneurs and founders alike. With Bupos, you can discover exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. As the first platform to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers, Bupos makes it easier than ever to acquire a recurring revenue business without personal guarantees. Their experienced M&A advisory team is dedicated to supporting you throughout the process, ensuring a smooth transaction. Don't miss out on this exciting opportunity. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. 
That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next venture. Are you still wrestling with rigid spreadsheets that slow down your team? Jotform Tables is a solution you've been looking for. Jotform Tables combines the power of a spreadsheet with the flexibility of a database. You can collect your data through customizable online forms and Jotform Tables automatically organizes and stores all the data submitted through your Jotform forms. You can also import and export files and collaborate with your team effortlessly. All changes are synced in real time, so everyone is always on the same page. But Jotform Tables is more than just a spreadsheet alternative with conditional formatting, data visualization, and more than 250 integrations, it's a complete productivity platform for your team. You can even automate tasks and workflows to save time. Ready to centralize your data, boost your team's efficiency, and take your productivity to new heights? Sign up for free at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Attention SaaS founders, are you determined to scale your B2B business to that coveted million dollar ARR milestone? I've got something that can help you get there faster. Introducing the SaaS Club newsletter, your weekly companion on the journey to SaaS success. Packed with proven strategies, practical insights, and exclusive interviews with B2B SaaS founders who've been where you are, this newsletter is your ticket to accelerated growth. Each week, in just five minutes, you'll gain access to a treasure trove of growth tactics, lessons learned, and insider tips to help you navigate the challenges of the early stages and scale your business to seven figures and beyond. So why wait? Become part of a 4,000 plus strong community of SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already harnessing these insights to drive their growth. Visit sasclub.io slash newsletter and subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today. Gain the support and expertise you need to keep forging ahead on your SaaS journey.